0: Hello and welcome to the OPG Inspire podcast. My name is Robert Roach, your host in the wonderful world of leading with abundance and organizational development. Today I had the opportunity to sit with Ken Harris, Vice President for Community Engagement at the Community Foundation and Director of the Federal Healthy Start Program. It is now common knowledge that the black infant mortality rate in the United States, including in New Haven, is more than twice as high as the mortality rate for white infants. Eliminating this and other disparities in birth outcomes and reducing infant mortality and morbidity rates overall is Ken's primary goal. He has been in the fight to decrease infant mortality rates in minority groups for 26 years and counting. Through his leadership, New Haven has become a model city in its success and its innovative programs to build community among all socioeconomic groups. Ken's experience and confidence in the work he does is inspirational to listen to. And I hope you enjoyed the interview as much as I did. With that, my conversation with Ken Harris. Um, Welcome to the uh, OPG Inspire podcast. So let's start with just a quick introduction, you know, a short bio coming from you. And what are some things that you're working on these days?
1: All right. So I'm Ken Harris, and I'm the Vice President for Community Engagement here at the Community Foundation, as well as the Director of the Federal Healthy Start Program, which is housed here at the Community Foundation. So I've been doing this um, in New Haven, Healthy Start, about 20 years, and I've been associated with the Federal Healthy Start Program for about 26 years since it started in 1991, beginning there in Boston, one of the original sites. Mm Uh, So my work focuses primarily on implementing the program here um, around women's health, but then also focus on building our community engagement strategy of the community foundation. And then outside of that, I'm also the president of the National Healthy Start Association, and we are a membership organization to the 100 Healthy Starts around the country. So. I get to engage with different projects around the country, different issues, mm-hmm. and one of the main things that I do um, outside of being the president of the association is actually head up its fatherhood initiative, um, Dad's Matter initiative there, so I'm doing work around men and fathers, and, which connects to our work here at the foundation, I'm dealing with particular populations like formerly incarcerated uh, and so forth, so that keeps me busy.
0: So could you tell us a bit more about Healthy Start, you know, if we wanted to start with its mission as a, as a place of kind of informing our listeners of what you're doing?
1: Healthy Start, the Federal Healthy Start Program, um, it started in 1991. So something was happening in our country in the 80s, and that is that our babies were dying before their first birthday. So infant mortality was a huge issue in the 80s. All of our babies were dying at alarming rates. And then when they began to look deeper, they discovered the disparity between the black-white gap. And so black babies dying two-and-a-half to three times the rate of white babies. And so the country began to respond to this issue in the 80s, and we thought it was about... um, Lack of entering into prenatal care, some medical challenges. Uh, But even after addressing some of those things early in the 80s, we discovered the disparity was still there, why these black babies dying at higher um, rates. Uh, And so in 1991, the federal government um, implemented a um, demonstration project called Healthy Start, and it really was to target infant mortality. So we began with 15 programs around the country, and they were mostly in urban areas, but there were a couple of sites that were in rural um, areas. Um, Some projects were in communities, Native American communities, in the Dakotas. And so really a sample of different communities around the country. so These 15 projects did this five-year demonstration um, program. And, and again, the goal was to reduce infant mortality by 50%. So some of those original 15 were able to do that. But um, out of all the projects, there was so much to learn. And one thing the country says, we haven't learned enough. And so Healthy Start uh, had a replication phase, and we continued to have these um, growths in Healthy Start. So we started with 15 sites in 1991, and today, as I said, There's 100 programs around the country now. So, again, all targeting the reduction of infant mortality.
0: And so New Haven Healthy Start is a product of that replication phase. Correct. Got it. Mm -hmm. Now, when I'm looking around at the, you know, the explanations and the uh, definitions on your websites, a term that pops up a lot is health equity. Mm -hmm. Could you explain what health equity is?
1: Um, health equity. So it's, it's a lot of things. Um, so equity different from equality. Um, equity is really about people having an opportunity. Uh, I think it's tied to opportunity uh, and then access and then support and in um, achieving uh, certain things such as uh, optimum health and uh, well-being. Um, and so when we begin to look at issues around equity, where there's been unfairness has been there and uh, unequal access, Um that's when you begin to look at um, health equity. Mm-hmm. And I think when you also talk about uh, addressing equity, you have to look in places where there are inequities. And so that's why disparity conversation about disparities are important because that's where you'll, as you go deeper and looking at disparities, you begin to see the inequities mm-hmm. that that at play. Like what caused this group to advance when this group did not? Are all the conditions the same? You know, and so people talk about um, level uh, leveling of the playing field. Uh, That's a different conversation in 2018 than it was in 1960.
0: Interesting. So let's come, let's bring it to New Haven. Um, Something that Deborah Frazier said, uh, who is the CEO of the National Healthy Start Association, she said, "We're really proud of what New Haven has done. It takes time to get into the community and do the kind of work that you're doing." And so, you know, in your view, what is behind New Haven's success in regards to Healthy Start?
1: Well, I think Deborah says it for all of us. It's really the fact that these Federal Healthy Start programs are community-based. And so New Haven came into this community 20 years ago, and the first thing we wanted to do is establish relationships with the community around us. So that included the medical community, social service community, community, faith communities. So really bringing the broader community together under one umbrella and as a collective voice. And so you're familiar with collective impact. So it was that model, So even before collective impact became the model that everyone talked about, The Healthy Start programs had that as a model. They knew that it takes the whole community to come together and really advance an initiative. And so New Haven, we spent time learning our community, partnering with our community. And again, the grants that we provide under Healthy Start we're all about pulling together that perinatal health system. So all, both hospitals at the time were involved. The health department, our um, health centers, and other community agencies, where we actually give them subcontracts to hire staff at their institution to work as a collaborator with us as a central office in administering this program. Mm-hmm. And that's really um, why it's so successful, because we've done well
0: in building those partnerships. And when you're trying to build those partnerships and establish those relationships, are you looking at the missions of the companies that you are working with? You know, do you try to find companies that seem to be ready to take this step in terms of establishing that that big connection between what Healthy Start is doing and what they're doing? Or is it kind of like a full outreach to the community, seeing who, whoever can help, you know? can contribute to this cause?
1: I think it's a bit of both. I think those organizations and agencies that are attracted to us have a mission that aligns with the Healthy Start mission. So again, for us, it's about uh, increasing uh, health um, for women, improving birth outcomes. So as a hospital or a medical institution, that's your mission mm-hmm. and so it's easy to align with our mission because of that overall that's our goal is to really have healthy babies which means healthy pregnancy which goes into women's health and so the even though we focus on infant mortality the issues that surround the infant mortality issue are, are are really expansive and we're able to connect I think a lot with the mission of others around
0: us so uh, just to kind of circle back to the infant mortality issue you know uh I think that listeners might be interested in understanding some of the specifics that are causing this problem. You know, I know you're talking about a little bit more, but you know, what is it about our communities or the way that our communities are structured now that's causing this giant disparity between, uh, between different groups in our communities in terms of something as hopefully, you know, something that we don't want to encounter like infant mortality.
1: Yeah, I think um, that's a great question, and it's, it's hard to answer in one sentence because there's a lot of factors associated with infant mortality. Uh, and I think, for me, it's looking at it historically and over that kind of timeline. So if you look at infant mortality over the last 20 years, the last 30 or, or 50 years, even since civil rights, there's a story to be told about infant mortality when we've seen increases, when we've seen decreases. Um, and so it speaks a lot to some of the things that we know of course, poverty has something to do with it. Uh, today, people are talking about social determinants of health. Again, that's a, 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 we're focusing more on those things now. And so but I, what I like people to understand is we knew there were med- medical reasons. I think the leading causes of infant mortality, first of all, are low birth weight and preterm delivery or preterm births. So, for example, now today one of the issues associated with um, infant mortality is racism, the impact of racism on birth outcomes. And so when we begin to really, I think, address the issues around racism, we're actually seeing more progress in the work, right? And so when you look at racism, for example, if a woman is experiencing racism, her body, if she's pregnant, her body will release more cortisol, okay, that causes her to, to perhaps go into preterm labor, and so experiences of racism, so it's not just race, it's actually racism. So the, um, the behavior in the health field, for example, and it could happen in an education field as well. How are people treated based on their skin color or how they present? Are people treating them differently? Um, so when we look at infant there's a lot of issues associated with that. Um, but ever since the Institutes of Medicine's 2002 report, uh, really confirming that racism can play and has played a role on adverse health outcomes. Um, So since then, we've been looking more broadly uh, at the impact of racism on birth outcomes. And so for our work around Healthy Start, um, we've been focusing a lot on the impact of racism. So that's a big factor today, because again, when you do medical interventions and the other interventions, we still saw the disparity. So the question is, well, why is it? Is it uh, women are not educated? Is it they're just poor? No, because we all have black women that have advanced degrees, great jobs, live in great communities that still experience these uh, adverse birth outcomes.
0: Now, when we're talking about problems like this, Mm -hmm. you know, these are vast problems across the United States. And, um, you know, I feel like at least personally that sometimes feelings like hopelessness or powerlessness uh, can creep in when you are you know, not sure how you can contribute as a lay person. Um, something that you said once is we have a message of hope, and hope comes because we see things as possible when we work together. Mm-hmm. So as a leader, how do you facilitate hope in your staff and in the people who need your organization, the people who work with your organization? You know, how do you bring hope to the way that people perceive these problems?
1: I think one of the big things for us is creating community authentic community. um, Place, and as Peter Block talks about, this sense of belonging. So even with our program, we have as a component our community consortium. And this is this broad table of stakeholders that includes um, physicians, administrators, um, organizations, residents, pastors are part of this larger consortium. And that is kind of the group that Um, oversees the Healthy Start program. And so it's a place where everyone's invited to come, and that's why we focus on creating that community. So not only talking about issues about infant mortality, but issues that come up through the community. So if people are concerned about community violence, well, that's an area we're going to spend time talking about and pulling our resources together to address. And so we've done that over these 20 years. as Different issues have come up for our community residents because this program is here for them we've kind of been able to be flexible and adaptable. So having that kind of community where you actually feel ownership. And the empowerment comes not because we're telling people this is what you should do, but we're working together and discovering solutions together. And so I think the community engagement piece is really, really important. But I mentioned the word authentic. It's got to be real. It's got to be authentic. Uh, Just like you and I would, you know, manage our home, our households with our family members, and they have that sincere, authentic engagement, then that's what you have to create. And I think Healthy Start does it better than anyone because that's kind of the – the core of what we do. Our consortia is the heart of this program. And one of the reasons I've been associated with it for 27 years is because it was a federal grant that mandated community be involved. I was an activist in Boston. I was concerned about how communities were being treated. And so I heard about this program that required you to be engaged with community, meaning they had to be at the table and part of the decision making. That's what attracted me to Healthy Star as a community person over 26 years ago. Uh, and it's the reason I've continued to be involved today.
0: So that sounds it sounds like you're establishing a baseline of shared values mm-hmm. with this very diverse but very potentially powerful group of different organizations and individuals. When you establish that baseline of values, you can build upon that mm-hmm. using everyone's input.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's a lot. And I'll give, give you an example. We are also established what we call the Men's Consortium. So we established this group about four years ago um, because we wanted to address the men and fathers in our community. And in New Haven, as you know, uh, most men here have had some history with uh, the um, correction institution um, and live in some way under the shadow of uh, probation. Parole or what have you. And so we created this men's consortium as a place for them to come and network because there's not a place when they get dropped off on Whaley Avenue, there's not necessarily a home for them to return to or necessarily a community that's going to welcome them back in. They have limited access to housing because if they have a record, they just they don't qualify for some benefits. And so this consortium has become a place where they know they can come and depend on um, on a monthly basis, it's a place where they can gather. And so we, as an example, had a gentleman that came out of prison, off Whaley Avenue, and someone told him about the men's consortium. He started coming, and he, came, he was attending for over a year. Every month, same time, he knew that we were there, he was there. And it was only after a year and a half or so that we discovered that he was homeless during that time, and he had other challenges going on during that time, but he came every single month because he knew there was a place that he belonged, and he felt he, some strength around the table. Uh, so for me, he's a great example of what it is to create a place and space for people, that they feel welcome, um, because we had no idea that he was going through. And we asked, well, why don't you share that you are going through these challenges? He said, I was okay, because I was with the other men that, have, that I knew were there for me and would be there for me, and that, that was enough for me each and every month.
0: So you provided him a community. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now these are really important programs and you know given a somewhat tumultuous political landscape you know what lies in the future of programs like Healthy Start and how do you as a leader ensure the robust longevity longevity of such an important program mm-hmm.
1: Well it's it's tough because I think as you said it's a that's a particularly challenging climate. And so part of our work at the national level, and each of the 100 Healthy Starts support the work that we're doing nationally. And so having the community engage locally, where we're having residents of the community engage with what's happening around, uh, with legislation around our, our, our Healthy Start program. So right now, the Healthy Start program is not authorized. And so we've been authorized twice since we've been in existence, but we're up for reauthorization. And so we really need our local communities involved connected with their legislators to talk about the impact of the program and the success of the program. Uh, But at the national level, we need to be authorized once again in order to be protected. Right now, we're unprotected. So with all of the cuts going on, we certainly are in a compromised position. So if the president decides to cut the Healthy Start budget, it could get cut. Um, But at least with authorization, we're protected at a certain level. So our work now and always is ensuring that Healthy Start remains uh, authorize and then appro- and then, then appropriation so that we have the level of funding that we need so that fight is it's been there since the beginning cuz this started as a demonstration program but here we are you know, 26 years later. So we have to continue to support this as a community-based initiative because it's different. We're not like a medical intervention program. And so if you don't understand Healthy Start, you're going to think, oh, that's just another medical program. Well, although we focus on our services, our in medical institutions, we are a community-based program. And that's kind of the, the distinction between us and other maternal child health programs. We have really engaged with the community down to the grassroots level, which really makes the difference. Um, it really has made the difference.
0: So when I walk out of the door after this interview or I go speak with my friends at the bar you know mm-hmm. this, this weekend, what can I tell them to do or what can I do myself that can help healthy start mm-hmm. in its survival, in its growth, in its success, mm-hmm. you know uh, what can I bring to the table as someone who's not involved?
1: Well, if you're at the barn, you're drunk. I'll (laughs) give you a packet so you can give it to them in case you don't say the right thing. But uh, if you're coherent, just have a short, short moment to tell some, to speak to someone. Uh, You would tell tell your legislator to support Healthy Start. So we have letters that are floating on the, around the hill. That, so just have your legislators support women's health and the Healthy Start program. That's a very simple message. Uh, and then if you remember a detail, say it's community-based, real people are at the table making the decisions, not just medical folks. And so those are the kinds of things you can add to it. But knowing that we need support to continue as a, as a women's health program and knowing that we're community-based, which is the distinction, I think those are two important pieces that will help us kind of rise above all the other programs that may be put in front of the faces of legislators.
0: So, I mean, I spent some great time on your website, and there's a lot of inspiring content on there. I recommend everyone to go over to the New Haven Healthy Mm -hmm. Start website. But um, one of my favorite quotes that popped up was from your your anniversary convening in September. And Dr. Mm -hmm. David Satcher said, In order to eliminate disparities in health and achieve health equity, we need leaders who first care enough, know enough, have the courage to do enough, and persevere until the job is done. So, you know, as an average, average listener who has a cause but little experience, you know, what are our first steps, you know, and how do, you, how do we become leaders uh, to fight for the things that we really, really want to change in our societies?
1: And I love that quote by uh, Dr. Satcher. And so I would just say to that and take from that, um, one thing to do is just to lead from where you are. And so I think as you hear about different things, things that touch you, things that impact you in deep ways... Those are things you can begin to move towards. So, when it comes to action, I can't really tell you what that is, but I like when people are moved. Um, to action and by something that calls you from within so lead from where you are sometimes it's just taking the message to somebody else so tell a friend about what you've heard today but sometimes you hear things that touch you in deep ways that causes you to move to action and I like that and so those are the beginning steps as far as I'm concerned and then if you have expertise or you're in industry that actually influences some of the things we do then I think it's pretty easy to kind of list of things you can do You know, if you have money, lots of it, then give it to support causes like this. So it gets clearer, you know, uh, when you know kind of what your purpose is in the earth. And so that's a whole nother conversation for me. But I believe that when you know why you're on the planet, um, the work is going to call you to it. And that's those are the leaders. So I look at leaders. I look ahead of me for leaders. I look for leaders behind and I look for leaders around me. And I'm a person of faith. So I also look for leadership from up above.
0: That is a wonderful place to stop. Ken, thank you so much for your time. All right. That was my interview with Ken Harris, director of the Federal Healthy Start Program. To learn more about this national issue and what you can do for this cause, Google New Haven Healthy Start and begin sharing their links with your network. I found so many parts of this interview to be inspiring. For example, Ken's description on how to build a community through authenticity, shared values, and personal ownership is a perfect model on generating buy-in for your cause. When people are moved to action and not guilted or threatened into helping a cause, they become part of a community based on a sense of belonging. This is the basis for what Ken refers to as collective impact. One key concept that Ken describes is leading from where you are. It's so easy to write off your development by saying, I'm not the boss, I don't need to lead. But the truth is that 90% of leadership occurs not from the top, but from all other parts of an organization. You can develop your influence and your thought leadership from any level and dynamically change the ecosystem that you exist within. Think of it this way, leadership is a choice, not a leather chair in a corner office. You can start leading right now and it'll change your life forever. With that, this is Robert Roach, signing off.